the uh, garden this week. So, uh, with Nisa for her birthday, she wanted to do, you know, the uh, flower bed. So, it's mm-hmm. been quite a project. <laughs> flower bed or actually planting food type thing? No, just a flower bed. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Some a rose bush and a bunch of different, you know, I don't even know all the different bushes and flowers and things like that, you know. See? Anyways, um, she enjoyed it. Building your mother two elevated boxes for growing tomatoes and things like that. Oh, Since okay. Flooding has ruined our land. So lifting up above the floods. That was a sermon there. Huh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the build above the flood. Right. There you go. I'm building her an ark. Oh. <laughs> All right, everybody. I don't know what to. Uh, Welcome you guys back to Grace Church Offstage. Uh, it's a uh, part three here. We have Pastor Larry with us, and uh, with this guy, uh, if you haven't joined us for the first two, basically he has this knack where he continues to find himself in these stories that involve some of the biggest names in the uh, the evangelical circles in the last 30 years. And he just, you know, I don't know uh, if it's a headline, if it's someone who's popular, famous on TV in a newspaper, you seem to be in the background somewhere. And on top of that, you have this ability to kind of find yourself as I'm a confidant I'm or a counselor even. You know, you, you find these people, you know, who who don't really have anyone to to talk to, to share the burden of, of the, the experiences they go through. And they seem to find safety in you. It just seems to be this this pattern. We will jump back onto that, but um, I want to focus on a kind of, we left off, I'm in Dallas, Texas. We were meeting with these people known for their muscles and feats of strength. Yes. There are multiple teams of these, so we're not going to highlight which one, right? Correct. But you had flown me down there. How old was I back then, you think? Maybe 11? I I think you're 11 or 12 it, you were young enough that uh, I could get in trouble for what was about to happen. Okay. I think I was 10. Yes. Okay. Um, m- maybe turning 11. Okay. And so um, you've been like writing for all these famous people already, and I've met a lot of them. But mm-hmm. this is the first time that you've kind of taken me with you. Right. So we flew from Pennsylvania all the way down to Dallas, Texas. <laughs> we talked about the first experience, right? Um you know, for me, Dallas was such a weird place, right? It was my first time to be there yeah. and just seeing how big everything was and all and, the concrete. And I actually want to correct one thing. I thought we flew from Pennsylvania too, but this was actually in the earlier era. We flew from Tulsa. What? I was still working. This is with an ad agency in Tulsa that I, I won't name, but anyway, they had this uh, group of individuals as a client. Yeah. And so I opted, and they said it was fine if I paid your way. I opted to take you Now, I know for a fact that we were living in Pennsylvania this time. I was in fifth grade. I was, uh, because I can actually recall the exact classroom I was in when I got the news that I was going to go with you and the people I talked to about it and then sharing the details of the experience when I came back. So I was in fifth grade, and... uh, Dallas was just like this weird place for me, right? Because I, it was, you know, everything was so big and spread out, and we were driving. It felt like for hours to get anywhere. It just yes. felt like, and every, and, and just the cars were big, the human beings were big, all the buildings were big, the highways mm, were big. Everything was shiny. Yeah, I do remember now. So I've worked with this group twice. Okay, you've been Once doing it for a while. with an gotcha. ad agency in Tulsa, and then years go by, and that then they contact me to do a book. Okay, that's how this happened. So that we flew from Pennsylvania. So, um, at the end of our last conversation, it struck me that I'm I'm not sure if I've ever like connected the dots to this, but I have a hunch that this experience might have been one of the most formative moments in my life that kind of put me on a trajectory or a path. To create what we know now as Grace Church. Now, uh, it's very possible because I remember <laughs> it uh, uh, hitting me how unique and uh, mind and heart expanding our conversation in the hotel room was after we uh, did what you're going to describe. Right. 
so the first experience for us was, you know, Dallas being what it was, it was it was fun for us to be there in Bond. But we met these guys at the hotel, right? We talked about this, you know. Oh, uh, we pulled up in our little Dodge Neon, his rental, uh, you know. And then, you know, here they come. Uh, the first guy had this Corvette. The second person, I remember, had this, like, an actual H1 Hummer. Like, the old ones, like, you know, the all-metal ones from the military. Yeah, the full-size yeah, ones from full the Yeah, full-size. And it was, like, some crazy color, wasn't it? Like, I, I thought it was, it was like, yellow or something. Banana yellow. Yeah, it was yellow, right? With lots of chrome. Oh, yeah. And, like, these guys get out with big hair and huge muscles, you know, just, like, yeah. looking the part and lots of money, right? I remember seeing a wad of cash in, in, in someone's pocket. We go into the Omni Dallas, and we sit down, and I remember them, like, pulling together four or five tables. Yeah. All so that these monstrous human beings could fit their food on the table. Do you remember that? Yeah. And uh, when they ordered, it was like... Um... <laughs> Each order was like a family was ordering. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll take an order of, you know. Like two steaks. This breakfast and a steak and an omelet yeah. and a pile of, you know, pancakes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just remember just being in awe of, you know, these these huge humans. And then I remember the most disturbing part, which even at my age I knew this is not okay. They each had a a, a sack of, like, vitamins that they were taking, which I'm I, at my age I was assuming they were all vitamins. And mm-hmm. like they would put these like giant plastic bags, I think of like a gallon bag, full of these pills, mm-hmm. and they're taking handfuls of these things out, throwing them in their mouth and chugging them down. And I'm I, thinking to myself, I've forgotten that. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> there's no way that that those were all vitamins. <laughs> and of course, now that I'm older, I'm going, those were not all vitamins. But who knows, right? You know, who knows? Lots of vitamin C and magnesium, I guess. I don't know, right? And so uh, we had this meal with them, and it just, like, the opulence mm-hmm. always threw me because there was a part of me that, you know, was human, and I enjoyed it. But there was a part of me, even at the table, as I saw the mm. prices, and we're inside this this hotel, which is probably the most grand place I'd ever been to at my age. Yeah. Just every- seeing how big everything was, the columns, the service, the gold, you know, uh, forks and knives. I just was just overwhelmed with the money all around me. Yes, it was uh, the best place you could uh, be at at that time in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So we go up to a penthouse suite, right? Mm-hmm. Some kind of suite. And it had rooms upon rooms upon rooms. And then it had a conference room attached to it. And I remember being shocked that it was a conference room with rooms. Because I remember, you know, uh, at some point, I had to go to the bathroom. And so I was allowed to wander through all these interlocking rooms. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this is all one hotel suite, apparently, right? Yeah. It was amazing. So so we're at the table with the, um, these guys, and you broke out the Tascam recorder, right? Yeah, I used to carry a huge Tascam recorder for high-quality recordings at that time. Transcriptions. I needed to transcribe the conversations. <laughs> I think I broke out about six microphones and pulled Right, them yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It's... And so we're here at this table, and there's all these huge human beings around. And you kind of do what you did, right? Like, you just start to to kind of to uh, uh, to probe and ask questions. And, like, you always had this ability to do it in a very kind of a gentle, non-threatening way, right? Mm. And it felt like... It felt like there was a tension in the air. Now, again, I'm like 11, 10, whatever. I don't, you know. But even at my age, the moment that you started to sit down with these guys and talk with them, you are doing your best, right, to bring out all the good stories from this person. Yeah. And it's always a quality of yours that I've I've always had respect for it, but probably less than I should have had for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because I've always had a lot of mom in me, right? And I, and I had this like BSO meter that just I can't turn it off, right? Yeah. Here I am, ten or eleven, and I'm like just almost like fuming internally. I'm just picking up on what what this guy's putting out there. It's not what he's saying; it's something under the surface. Right. Yeah. And the subject at that time I knew uh, was having problems. And uh, this particular book was a um, autobiography. Oh, okay. It was about his life, 
uh, about his ability to overcome adversity, and you did have adversity growing up. Absolutely, real yeah. tough childhood. Um, but all of those wounds were beginning to show. He had reached the pinnacle, and uh, for any of us, if there's something not taken care of, as you know, if you build a tall building on a faulty foundation, you're going to have um, what they have with the Leaning Tower of Pisa or uh, other places have happened in major cities where these skyscrapers begin to fall. And right, yeah. Biblical phrases, and great was the fall of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, as pastors, it's a metaphor we use all the time, right? It's important to go deep before you build up. Yes. Right? The foundation has to be strong. Yes. So I was concerned. This isn't the first author like that that I was running <laughs> right. into. Yeah. I'll have to tell you, I'd worked with these guys um, probably five to ten years earlier, and they, most of the team were just good-hearted guys who loved Jesus. They really did. They, uh, some of them were pretty deep, and uh, a bunch of them weren't. Uh, they were new believers and just trying their best, but they're in a very tough performance-oriented ministry. And it was performance oh, night man. after night with great damage to their physical bodies and sometimes to their minds. Um, and uh, this fellow that was the head of it was the one doing the book. Yes. And um, he probably had more damage than all of them uh, in his right, uh, yeah. psyche. In his, in it's his almost nature. like pro athletes, right? Yeah. You know? So I, I love these guys. And I had I'd known them for many years and watched them even in the beginning from afar. And uh, I still have a, a an award, a huge award they <laughs> gave me for doing comic books for them in the previous years. Right, yeah. And they flew me yeah. to Iowa where they were doing a massive uh, thing. And in front of everybody, then they, they called the books, midget yeah. up, me, and I came up to about their belt buckle. And uh, they gave me their, I still have this big uh, plaque <laughs> showing the first framed right, uh, yeah. comic book that had you know, just exploded and they couldn't keep them in stock. So this is kind of like part one of this, this experience for me. And again, it's so weird because I didn't even connect the dots until you were talking about it last week. And all of a sudden I had this, like this moment where, you know, the memories flooded in and the feelings and the same feelings that kind of drive me today. So while you have this gift where you're connecting to, the best in them. You're trying to bring out the best in them. You're trying to understand, have compassion. I have this other side of me that in the moment is just I can't not pick up on right. all of the negative things I'm sensing, right? Just the the kind of a guardedness, the anger, the uh, loneliness. There's, there's things that are being hidden right now. I can tell. He's very... Like, as he tells stories, I'm noticing his eyes and his body language, and there's just things that he's not sharing that are really troubling him, right? And I'm picking up on all this stuff, and I'm not knowing how to piece together, because you said it earlier, they are involved in a very performance-oriented, you know, job or, like, ministry. Yes. Which pegs exactly one of the things at Grace Church and in my own life that I've always tried to stay away from, putting on a show, right? Uh, you know... These guys are breaking through ice and are blowing up hot water bottles and tearing phone books and baseball bats, all that, right? And it's obviously a show, but I've also been able through you to meet all of these other people, right, who are the ones with the Bibles, preaching, teaching, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I picked up the same thing there, that, that there was a show that was being put on. And even in my younger years, especially, um, you know, in, in this conference room in Dallas, there's something deep inside of me that was saying, this is not what I hoped I would find. Right. It was a, it was a disappointment. It was a disappointment. You know, and it, it, it's a weird combination. I feel like from you and mom, you guys always instilled in me this deep expectation. You know, there are lots of things about my charismatic upbringing that I'm not super, you know, thankful for. Things okay. I had to kind of grow mm -hmm. out of and, and learn to, to handle in a healthier way. But there are so many things that, that are um, essential to who I am, right? And part of it is, you know, in the charismatic movement, you plant so deep in someone the expectation to literally experience personally, in a very personal way, face-to-face -face almost, right? Uh -huh. 
God. Yes. And I love that about the charismatic movement because it's something that we've lost in other different branches of the church. Mm-hmm. And it's real, but the problem is, if, for instance, if you are a person who has had a deep walk with God and it starts to show, for instance, you pray for the sick and people are actually healed more often than uh, people see nowadays. Well, you instantly become a star and people seem to not be able to help themselves but they'll put you on a pedestal. And uh, as your ministry grows, even if you have a pure heart, the machine wants to be fed to stay alive. Your ministry grows, you start hiring people just to keep track of a mailing list, and pretty soon, every decision you're making, you're thinking, well, how will this will this allow us to pay the bills next month? And Absolutely. it keeps growing, and there's a, there's points of no return. Yeah. Once your ministry grows and you buy a five-story building, then you can't go back to other things. And so it's just a... Wow. No, that's a huge insight. And again, it's like, I feel like you were this first... Um, on-ramp for me to learn about these different things. Because like for me, right, one of the constant things that people who work with us and, and uh, you know, uh, here at Grace hear from me is I hate the machine, mm-hmm. right? And I'm always trying to f- fight creating this machine. You know, say the Grace Church is a thousand people tomorrow. It comes with all of these chains and strings attached. Now you've yeah. got to meet payroll. Now you have to keep mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the attendance or certain. Now you, you have to be even more careful what you preach about. Now you have to be careful not to offend, you know, the uh, donors and givers, right? You, you have to make sure that, that the personalities and leadership who, you know, if they leave, the, you know, if you offend so-and-so, you could lose half your church. Right. Uh, they'll go, you know, start their own church, whatever, right? You, you have all these strings attached. It's almost like the, the more that you become successful in the eyes of, you know, what most of us think is success. Mm-hmm. You, you know, what's actually happening is that you're being handcuffed. Right. The ability to follow God. And again, part of those charismatic roots I love so much that were, that were, that were sown into me was this, you have to always be willing to follow God even when other people don't. Right? Yes, you do. And, and you know, in the charismatic world, it was always taught, like, say, that's the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's always something that, you know, if you have Baptist friends, your parents would be like, yeah, well, you know, I don't want you hanging out with the kid who speaks in tongues, right? right. You know, yeah. but for me, it was so much more than that. It was learning that wherever you found God, wherever you found truth, you had to follow it, wherever. And what I've always hated, and like what I sensed in this room in Dallas was, here's a man who is handcuffed. Here's a man who's a shell of himself. Here's a man that other people look at when he pulls up in his yellow Hummer, and they say, wow, look at, you know... Right. They see all these muscles, and they go, "Man, look at this amazing, you know, you know, successful picture of you know." And mm-hmm. I saw the opposite. I just saw this broken, chained shell of a person, and I wanted nothing to do with that. Now, two sides of it, right? In this moment, uh, the first thing I was learning was I never want to be a part of something fake that's a show, because it will eat me alive. Mm-hmm. But secondly, the thing that I think that you've helped me learn, which is a gift you have is to always understand and have compassion for the burdens that come with those right. types of pressures. It's not that, that these people are bad people. It's that the, you know, the forms of success they had have actually isolated them, right? Right. Um, I'll say many, you know, like there are a number of groups that do this as a means of, uh, of presenting Christ to younger generations. Um, there's obviously room for debate about whether that's even relevant uh, anymore, I would say the uh, advent of the Avengers movies and stuff may have made it relevant again. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but many of the people that split from other groups, right? Yeah, all the other split groups vowing they would never be like the other group, they mm-hmm. wanted to stick with their uh, it's almost such a dangerous place to start anything, right? Say, it, well, I'm not gonna tough. do those people. And they all began, uh, including this particular group, they began, the leader began with with pure motives. They really wanted to reach um, uh, unsaved people, tell them about the love of Jesus, and bring them into the kingdom. And that's and I what think they wanted that's a gift do. of yours, because, you know, we're going to hang out in Dallas, I think, for the majority of like this episode, but in the ones that we've already done, and the ones that I think are going to come as, as we open up your story, because there's yeah. so much to go to, 
the one thing that I think that you find in all these people is like, even if they don't end up in these places that we are really, you know, excited that they ended up in, all of these people started with, you know, these great intentions. Oh, they absolutely did. And most of them had real fruit, especially early in their, their ministries. Uh, in fact, that is what led to higher and higher levels of, of outreach and ultimately... Uh, sometimes it happens so fast they, they don't get great counselors, they don't get any counsel at all. They may have a flaw where they don't listen to anybody anyway. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And some of these guys have extremely powerful egos. I, some respected people say you really can't accomplish great things for God without an ego. And there mm -hmm. may be some truth to I that. would love I to know. argue with them on a podcast. We have to get them yeah, that would be a good debate, debate, wouldn't it? You know, okay. So we didn't have like Enneagram language back then, right? I mean... Uh, Richard Rohr was, you know, he, he, he was teaching people out, you know, out like Santa Fe in the desert somewhere. But we didn't know about the, you know, that language. But, you know, most of these people who, who become very successful in the church world and business world are these threes and eights, right? These people right. who's, you know, the eights have this powerful mm -hmm. personality. It's, it's a force, right? And it helps mm -hmm. them to climb the ladder. And the threes have this drive, right? It's this need to succeed, right? To mm -hmm. to always be moving up or towards the goal. And most of these people who you've met are threes and eights, right? Most, um, yeah. The guy at the table we're talking about right now, you know. Oh, I so right. want to say his name, I can't. I mean, he seems to be a pretty stereotypical eight, right? He's yeah. just going to blow you out of the way. You know, if, if you have a problem, he's going to bulldoze you. Yeah. And as he's telling a story... All the parts of the story that me, you know, here I am, this young kid, I'm sensing all, okay, okay, so how he got here, I'm picking it up in his stories and the parts he pauses and his eyes dart and he moves on. Mm -hmm. It's all these stories of people that he's, he's blown through, right? All these, you know, relationships that he just destroyed, you know, on his way up. And again, it's not because he's a broken person, right? But one of the things that I was sensing at that age, and, and something that in our church we've tried to build in, is accountability for leadership. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's one of the things that most of these stories that you have shared and will share is you seem to be this safe person who comes in for the broken areas of these very famous people to kind of be, you know, to be shared with. Because all these people succeeded in, in cultures that never created accountability. For leaders, if they're right. God's anointed, if mm -hmm. they're successful, if they preach great, if they're very smart, whatever, they got a hall pass. Right. And most uh, publishers at that time wouldn't talk with people in the Christian world unless they, I'm talking about primarily the major publishers, Christian publishers. Right. They wouldn't talk to you. And the, the number of either the size of your congregation, it went from, well, you had to have a congregation of uh, 2,000, then it went up to 5,000. Currently, it's at fifteen to 20,000 with networks to 100,000. Otherwise, you don't make enough points on their rating system yeah. to be rated as an author. And it's uh, not that you can't be successful and be healthy. Now, again, I have to be careful. You know, we'll do an entire podcast on what success in the kingdom looks like, which isn't always numbers and right. especially, not, you, know, you know, with money and whatever. But, you know, what's happening is the microphone is always being given, the spotlight, the camera is always being put more and more on people who are less and less healthy, these Christian leaders. Unfortunately, yes. Right? And so the ones who are now teaching and pouring out spiritual DNA are the ones who themselves are not spiritually whole or healthy at all. Yeah. I'm sure there's exceptions. Yes, right. But. Yeah, but we're talking uh, about, yeah, <laughs> again, that's your gift and mine's the opposite, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, okay, so back to the table in Dallas. I'm picking up on all this. It's really impacting me. I'm not like talking about it. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I even say anything to you about these guys, but it's bothering me. It's eating at me because these are the people that I was promised, these leaders, right, mm -hmm. are the ones who are supposed to have the answers, the ones who are supposed to lead us and guide us to more of God, and I'm picking up the exact opposite, right? Mm -hmm. So did we talk any um, about this interview? We did. Did I express any frustrations? Yeah, you did. Uh, and you were astounded. Uh, you just, <laughs> uh, but you always were that kid. To even like when you were one or two, all these people went up and want to kiss your cheek and stuff. You would have nothing. You would have none of it. You'd read them like a book, and then there's other people you would read, and 
they could come hold you and you're the happiest can be because you'd read them. Yeah. You always had an ability. They didn't say you were perfect, but uh, you were pretty accurate. Uh, and that continued on um, all those years. What really stood out to me that weekend, the real discussions, and we actually talked about those interview moments, but the real discussion came after uh, I had you watch a movie. Right, so this is kind of like, you know, here I am, extremely angry and discouraged. I was, I was so excited to meet these people. Now, again, I haven't ever been someone to want to kiss the ring. I've, I've never been very wild by whoever that person's supposed to be. But, I, you know, I'm, I've always been hopeful, right? So here I am on a low, and then you had an idea, you know, to <laughs> raise my spirits probably. Who knows? <laughs> so we go to one of the big malls in Dallas. I don't remember which one it was, you know. Uh, who knows? But one of them, because, you know, if you've been in Dallas, you know, there's, you know, giant malls everywhere. And to me, it wowed me. I'd never seen, you know, malls like that in my life. And uh, I do remember it was my first time to go to Starbucks. You took me to a Starbucks. Wow. That was life-changing. I mean, that's probably taking me down a whole other path, right? <laughs> no. And then you decide to take me to go see a rated R movie. Yes, I did. And that was, uh, you know, if people know me uh, all my upbringing. Right. My dad, before me, risked his life and limb as the superintendent of Sunday school oh, man. to take me to a movie at the tender age of 10. On my own. I think it was Jack and the Beanstalk, but just he literally uh, dropped me off and sped away. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so, awesome. uh, yeah, so here I was, uh, you know, I had vetted this movie and uh, uh, there was a reason that I did it. And that's what you we hadn't seen about. it yet, though, right? But I had done enough study on it that I just knew. That- <laughs> Call it a prophetic sense. People think I'm crazy. Sure. But yeah. But I really think... Spirit was leading, right? Yeah. And so the spirit leads you to take me to The Matrix. The Matrix, yeah. Which still (laughs) is used in colleges as a case study for extreme forms like visual exposure to violence and what it does to the brain, right? Right. Because there are like some of those scenes (laughs) where, you know, for us they're shooting these, you know, uh, AIs. Yeah. But... For the human brain, like you're watching some pretty intense violence of, you know, people killing other human beings, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you take me to the Matrix and, you know, I'm 11, right? And I watched this movie and, you know, so many things stood out to me. And I think that, you know, um, for you, I, I think the one, the major thing that you want to talk about was like spiritual warfare, which I think was a really uh, fun talk for us to have. I wanted to talk, I remember that I made a big deal about the kingdom of God being more real than the world of matter we're surrounded by. Mm. That's good right there. Now, I mean, people might not know how loaded of a statement you just made, but I mean, that's so good. It reminds me of the book, The... Uh, Divine Conspiracy. Yes. Which I will do a podcast all on that, guys, so don't worry about it. But basically, it's a book that I found that every single leader, teacher, spiritual, you know, uh, person that I really find interesting and encouraging and challenging, all of them somewhere in the past, they all like read the same book. Mm -hmm. And this book, honestly, it doesn't seem very, uh, you know, crazy or, or, um, you know, challenging, but it's got the same seeds that you were talking about that, hey... What happens when you realize the kingdom is more real, that something invisible is more real than what's visible? What if you can catch that? So, it's a famous scene here. This is kind of part two of the experience in Dallas that I really think has transformed me and what's really sent us on a path to create what is at the heart of Grace Church. There are these two pills, right? The red pill and the blue pill. Right. right, it's time to make a choice. If you haven't seen The Matrix, I don't know how, you know how to help you. Um, you know, you haven't lived yet. You need to go watch it. Okay, <laughs> but so here's a moment where uh, Neo has experienced just a little bit. He's ex- he's had a taste to realize that his entire world was a lie. That there's something so real, so present, so um, tangible that's more tangible, but it's shocking. Yes. It's terrifying. It's scary. And for him to go deeper in this, he has to let go of everything he thought he knew, right? So he's faced with these two pills. You have the blue pill, 
which is the symbol for ignorance, the bliss of ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to live in a lie the rest of my life, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's easy. There's pleasure there. Yeah. Right? Wake up, eat, drink. Yeah. And die, you know, for tomorrow. Be merry, die. right? Yeah. You know, it's Epicurean kind of, um, you know, approach. Now, again, you know, this is, uh, oh, man, yeah. Or you could take the red pill, which means that, you know, to accept, to let go of the entire world that you think you knew and to be plunged into what is truth, but at a cost. You can never go back. Right. Now, I love this, this line, like you can never go back because I've had people ask me so, so often about the scriptures or about uh, God or the kingdom, and they all want to know, you know, because say a sermon or a podcast caught their attention. Hey, you know, how do I learn more? And, I, and as I tell them, like I always to tell them at some point, hey, at some point, you will go far enough down this that you can't turn back. You will never see the world the way you used to. There's part of me that misses the way I used to live mm-hmm. life, especially in church circles. I miss going to, you know, a a church service and feeling like I I was fully a part. Uh, it's, it's hard to say that, right? But you, you know, to feel like I had a tribe, I miss that feeling, mm-hmm. right? These are my people. Here's our tribe. Here's what we believe. Here's what we know that we know that we know that we know. Whatever that is, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone inside this circle, all whatever, okay. There's a point when you can never go back to that, ever. And so he's faced with this choice. Do I want the blue pill where I stay in the world that I know, the comfort world? I know it's a lie. I know I'm living a lie, but it's the path of ease. Or do I choose the red pill, right, which is painful. It hurts. There's going to be loss. Yes. I, you know, and you know, my own personal journey with the red pill, you know, I might lose relationships and friendships and connections. You know, I might lose, you know, some sense of identity and like control over my future. I mean, all these yes. things that used to bring me comfort, I, you know, I might lose. But this moment for me was so profound because, again, it's, it's really what we offer at Grace Church so much. Hey, if you want to. There's a world, there's a connection to God. There's a, a way of living that is so much more real, so much heavier, so much more tangible, but there comes with a price. You literally have to let go of the world you live in to step into this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and that's the kind of discussion that we had after we watched this movie, and that's why I even in, endured the risk, so to speak, of taking my 11-year-old son to an R-rated movie. It wasn't the R-rated movie and violence. I was hoping that'd just maybe go away. What I wanted you to see, and what I loved because it was expanding me at the same time, um, I wanted us to understand that there is a kingdom that's real. It's eternal. It is vibrant, more full of life than anything we will ever see in this world. Uh, it doesn't mean we live in la-la land, you know, some sweet day, you know, sweet by and by, we'll get up. No, uh, this is stuff we can begin to live in now. That's what happened to Neo in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Once he made the choice, he discovered a whole different world, a new world, and actually he discovered something that every believer finds. I believe he discovered that he was born with a purpose unique to him. And I believe each believer has a purpose, and not necessarily all the same, although we're all linked and we have the same ultimate goal. But I think God has a way, a purpose, a set of gifts for every individual. And um, that journey begins with surrender. And Right. And that surrender idea, or, you know, the pill, right, the red pill, I've never let go of that the impact of that that movie because I have I've always taught and in, in, in you know in all different ways you know as I've kind of made my way down this path right that however it is it has to be all in you've got to dive mm-hmm. that's the only way to do it right you can't wade wade into this pool it doesn't work that way because yeah. the moment you wade in it gets too cold and you run back the other way right yeah. look, look, 
the the um, red pill is not a bunch of small, you know, um, Flintstones vitamins. You got to put that sucker in your mouth <laughs> and throw mm-hmm. it back. It's it, it's the only way because you know we see the Grace Church all the time. You know. When you try to wait, oh, and you know it gets uncomfortable. And at some mm-hmm. point, you will jump out of the cold water and say, "No, I'm done. You got to dive." And that's one of the things that's always stuck with me: the people who I know who live these types of, you know, um, lives of depth and like connection to God. Mm-hmm. They're the types that that chose to dive all in. And they're in, in you. You run across these people. From almost every kind of denomination you can think yes, of. Yes, yes, absolutely. I've seen, I've run into little Baptist ladies that knew more about God than oh, I, yeah. I ever did. In, you know, growing up in a charismatic world and old Pentecost and all kinds of stuff, they walked with God in an intimate level. And it showed how they treated people, their ministry. It was just amazing. We could talk Matrix for hours, you know, and it's it's such an old movie that you know I feel old talking about it because it's such an old movie that you know so many people don't know it very well. But you know, we went back to the hotel that night and we had a long, you know, talk about it. Mm-hmm. That was the most impactful spiritual moment probably of my entire life up to that moment. Now you have to understand this about me, guys. You know, I grew up in a family that we went to church. I mean, not just like once a week, twice a week. I mean, you know. And on top of, you know, going to church, my parents were in ministry. And then, of course, on top of that, you know, uh, with my father doing the writing, you know, we were always exposed to books, writings. You know, he had had these late dinners with authors who'd fly in and he would drag me along and it'd be like midnight at Shoney's. And I'd be hearing you guys have these long talks about, you know, you know, these Mm -hmm. Bible discussions or kingdom, whatever. This was my life. I was... You know, you know, immersed in you know, God talk, but the most transformative moment of my life, it didn't come in a conference. I wasn't being you know slain the spirit or prophesied over or taught a Bible verse, any of these things. I was literally being taught about Jesus and the kingdom with a rated R movie. Yeah, and so this is Go the figure. other part that I that hit me so hard. Um last week, was I've never lost that. What's always been dangerous for me as a pastor and as a person is that I've always known that like where I find God, i got to follow Him. Where the Spirit of Christ is at work, I've got to go. And that experience that night in Dallas, watching The Matrix and feeling God, sensing God all around me, having an intrigue and a hunger to learn more about God, that's never mm-hmm. left me. And, I, and, you know, here I was... In a conference room where you're supposed to find God with the people who should have the answers and the leaders in the in the books and the TV shows, whatever, mm-hmm. and I found it to be very disappointing. It was a, a show, a performance, right? And again, I'm, I'm you know lumping a lot of experiences into one, right. right? Right. The church services never had enough for me. The home, you know, the Bible studies never had enough. The youth groups never. But when I went outside of those boxes, oh my gosh, yeah. the richness. And this is something that has never left me. You know, um, my sermon this morning was about yoga, you know, and and about, you know, how much I've been finding God at work in my life as I'm doing this thing that is not intrinsically Christian. It's not that could get you in scripture. Yeah. 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 You know, and and, and here I am, you know, each morning I do like five to ten minutes of yoga. Love it and I center myself with Christ, and we have these great conversations, I just feel, since God all around me, and, you know, from like warrior one pose, a downward dog, whatever, and I'm just sensing God all in it. And I don't care what the, the person on the TV or the book tells me, that that's not where God is. I know better than that. Yeah. And I also know better than to assume that that person on the TV and you know has the answers. It's not like I'm trying to be... Um, you know, just like this rebel. That's not what I, what's been in me. It's that I have to have the real thing. Mm-hmm. At some point, you put into me an expectation that God was real. That you know, my grandfather. You know, who um, we're so blessed to still with us. You know, he. You know, can be talking about the weather, and then two seconds later, he's in tears talking about the presence of God. You know, that's what I grew up with. 
Yeah. And that got so deep in me that I was promised I could experience God that way. And that has never left me. And so at Grace Church, right, here we are, mm-hmm. boldly, unashamedly leading people to, you know, to find God in the scriptures and prayer and Hillsong worship songs and, you know, in the new Evensong album. But I'm also telling them, hey, guess what? You know, you know, Christ is also to be found outside of those boxes. We always yes. anchor ourselves in Jesus of Nazareth and the scriptures. It's always, you know, the lens that makes sense of everything else in the world. But guess what? There's so much of God to be found. You know, hey, you know, go hiking, go fishing, find God in that. Spend time with the kids, play with the kids. Don't feel guilty. You don't have to be praying all day. Find God there, right? Because God is, anyways, this, I am so appreciative to you for, you know, for all of these experiences, but really just the DNA that you put in me, you know, because it didn't have to be Matrix, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just... And I think what's funny is that I've shocked you over the years with, you know, trying uh, yeah. to take you even farther than, you know, but you started all this, you know. Um, you and mom are the ones who put these things in me, you know, from a young age. Uh, and so, it, again, it just, it's so amazing to me that this experience in Dallas, as we sat up late that night, I mean, it was mm-hmm. super late. And we just talked and talked about all of these different, like, um, symbolism and metaphor in the Matrix, I mean, mm-hmm. beautiful. Right. And, uh, you know, the two brothers that wrote that movie and all the sequels that followed, they would probably be uh, shocked uh, if we were saying anything Christian <laughs> came out of their movie. Oh, yeah. But you know what? Um, God speaks through a lot of authors who never, ever intended to um, glorify the God of the universe that we know. I mean, even Jesus... For those of you who are wondering roots of this, even Jesus quoted a, a Cypriot or a, uh, a resident of Cyprus who was a prophet, uh, a uh, pagan prophet. That was Paul, right? That was Paul who quoted it? Yeah, yeah Paul, Paul who quoted it. And, uh, and that famous phrase is it for, uh, is in him that we live and move and have mm-hmm. our being. And we quote that all over the place, but God used a pagan prophet and spoke it through the Apostle Paul to us today. So we need to understand, God can, again, he can speak through a donkey, he can speak oh, yeah. through some of the like, goofiest things. That, like the majority of story structures, symbols, and all the Old Testament are all borrowed from the other tribes. And we don't have time to go into, you know, teaching people how to understand and like read the Old Testament, but almost every image and like metaphor, concept, practice of, you know, sacrifice, almost all of them were borrowed from other gods, which is why the ones that were unique to Israel were so, were so astounding. Yes. So beautiful, right? That's why, that's why it's so powerful when, you know, when God leads um, uh, with Abraham, when he takes him up, you know, up the hill with his son Isaac, and then he spares his son. Yes. That, you know, no, we aren't like the other tribes who sacrificed their children. I don't need that for pleasure. That's not the, you know, anyways, yes. uh, that's, I mean, all of these things that we learn and find about God, all of these things are borrowed and shared between these different groups and peoples. We're all trying to find God and, you know, that's why it's so beautiful for us as Christians to root ourselves in Jesus because mm-hmm. he gives us this, it's almost like a sorting uh, um, or a filter, right? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. we get to run everything through the teachings of Jesus. This is how we know if it gets to stay is, is this the work of Christ or not? Well, if it, if it, if it passes the, the filter of Jesus, good. Yes. And what's, what's beautiful about that, if, 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 you, if you really want to get detailed in the scriptures, you know, we even begin to filter the scriptures themselves through Jesus. Yes. You know, which is what Jesus himself does. He reinterprets the Old Testament. Yeah, he take he took them straight to the heart. He just, he, in fact, he had no patience whatsoever for religious hypocrisy or rigidity for the wrong reasons. He, he you know, people would memorize scripture and use it to um, lock in and harden the walls around what they believed, and especially if it benefited them. And they made that a doctrine and they make it into a club. They just beat everyone around them to make sure that their bastion of perfection was always protected. Um, Jesus just seemed to delight in knocking that kind of stuff down. He, he wanted to erase the... Uh, I, I love what C.S. Lewis used to teach. He, uh, he said, if you want to make something special, build a, rap, a wall around mm-hmm. it. And... Uh, the Lord Jesus is all about tearing down those walls, and um, he constantly reminded 
the leaders of his day. You need to know the scriptures that reveal the heart of God to save all men, to reach out to all people and races. Uh, his love is for the world, the entire world. Mm-hmm. And uh, they basically buried those those references and uh, throughout the Old Testament that are there. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's something that we teach here at Grace Church a lot, right? But you know, if you if you take kind of a meta view of the scriptures from from uh, the Old Testament to the New, the the defense of God's people is always mm-hmm. expanding, right? First, yes. it's this one single family line. Now it's it's spread <clears throat> out through these twelve. Now all of a sudden, there's room for these other people to now marry in. And now all of a sudden, God is moving and blessing these other tribes. And now all of a sudden, in, in the Gospels, in the book mm-hmm. of Acts, the book of Acts is the most exciting book to me in the Scriptures because now it's all changing. Oh. The book of Acts is, is one consistent story with the Gospel of Luke about how every single fence that they thought God God had built, not man, they were all wrong. That <laughs> God's yeah. breaking down, you know, <laughs> gender, race, uh, ageism, you know, it goes yeah. on and on. You know I mean? It's it it you know the one tribe of Israel now is shocked because now the the one tribe is now embraced and the kingdom is now the tribe of humanity. Yeah. This is God's tribe. This was always God's tribe. God was always the God of every tribe. Uh, you just forgot it. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you know uh, when you use algorithms to take something that looks perfectly uh, in order and then you scramble it. It Book of Acts looks like a journal of chaos theory. But there's one key that makes every piece fit together, and that's the key of David. That's Jesus. And he makes that chaos theory suddenly snap into place from Genesis to what would be the book of Revelation. All the way down to the city that has walls, but guess what? The gate is never closed. (laughs) Yeah. Which is the best line in in all the scriptures, if you ask me. Who's... You know, uh, his gates shall never yeah. close. Watchman Nee had a fabulous title for one of his books, and he called it uh, Christ, the Sum of All Spiritual Things. Oh, absolutely. Well, Great title. You know, that's, that's one of the things Apostle Paul says about, about Christ, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and uh, oh my goodness. So, you know, in Dallas, this experience to me, you know, it, it, it shaped what Grace Church has become, right? Uh, we don't ever want a show. Mm. You know, we don't ever want the pressures of this machine that we've built to compromise the freedom to follow God, right? We, we never want our leaders, including myself, you might have giftings or insight or intelligence or uh, success to be above accountability and specifically their own spiritual growth and health, mm-hmm. right? That's one of the things we do in the foundation. Every single human at Grace Church needs to start the, the work on the inner life. You have to start yeah. to, you know, to, you know, uh, to root out the brokenness and to begin to to process it, you know, and you know it it's um, it also taught me in Dallas and formed in the the Grace Church, right? That um, you know that we we know that God can and will be found in places that we never expected, and that's the only thing that you can expect is right. to expect God to be found in, in the unexpected. And there's a um a type of faith that uh, it's a faith that, you know, it's, it's, it's the way I put it. I'm trying to get it out here is um, when I pastored the church or when I've done different ministries, I had responsibility. I had to just put my trust in the fact that it's in God's hands. I mean, I purposely laid things in his hands and knowing that personally, I'd screw it up. I'd mess it up. Yeah, I don't have true. enough intelligence. I don't have enough waking hours. Uh, sometimes, many times, most of the time, I don't have the skill set. If I write a book, and I don't know if I'd say it's somebody to steal it, but most of it is, is backing my way into God's perfect will. Right. You know, he has to, he'll get the credit for anything that's good in my life or ministry when it's all said and done. Um, so I have great trust that when people follow him with the heart of David, he'll take care of the rest. Absolutely. Well, um, as we close a look at your uh, list of names, we haven't even, there's so many different stories and names for us to keep. You know, I'd planned for us to maybe do two parts. I didn't think we'd go into this. 
Um, but uh, I, I was so excited about it, though. Uh, the last time we were talking, when, when you started talking about that story with, you know, in Dallas. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we opened it up. Uh, we'll come back next week, and uh, we'll, we'll start plowing down the second half of, like, your riding life. Because things really change for you. You kind of get your chance to kind of go out on your own. You start your own yeah. company. And at that point, you really begin to 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 meet even more very interesting uh, people. Oh yeah, uh, and the stories just get get uh, slightly wilder. less dramatic as far as like news headlines. I mean, like you don't quite find yourself as often around these people in the news. Now there is one big one, right? That that does happen yeah. down the road, you know. Uh, yeah, but uh, you find yourself with some huge names and some people who are very, um, you know, just kind of. Uh, have helped form the the faith in this country in the last 15 years. So I'm excited to open that up next week, and so uh, it should be fun. Well, this has been great. Um, <laughs> dredging up all the stuff. That the uh, good thing people can't see my notes. They're just all over the yeah, place. Yeah, it's not for us. Scrawled. And, but anyway, it keeps growing because the memories keep popping up. <laughs> There have been so many people over the years, eight different locations. It's a special kind of a thing that that is on your life. I feel very boring as we talk through your life. I'm like, man, I've been in the same town, same type of ministry, the same people, you know. And so I, I hear all the the ways that you, you know you guys are jumping around and this story, that story, this this you know drama, that drama. I mean, it's probably probably not as fun as it sounds as we hit the highlights, right? But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun to open all that up. All right, guys, uh, if you guys have enjoyed this, we're going to open up into part four. can't believe we're going to part four, but we're going to start that next week. So uh, we'll see you back at uh, Grace Church uh, offstage next Monday. Have a good week, guys.